in Exodus chapter number 12, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the month of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And let's pray, and we'll get into the message this morning. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for the day. Lord, I thank you for our church. Lord, I pray right now that you would help me as I preach your word. I pray that I would give what you want me to. I pray that you'd empty me of myself. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. And God, most importantly, I pray that, Lord, you would speak to hearts today. Mm -hmm. Father, I know they didn't come to hear from me. They came to hear from your word and came to hear from you through your Holy Spirit's leading. God, I do pray that if there is somebody in this room that doesn't know for sure that if they died that they'd go to heaven, I thank you for the Bible. I thank you that we can know that we are saved. God, I pray that you'd help them to get that settled today. Give me clarity and help the Christians that are in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, the, we're talking about, of course, we've been going through somewhat. We took a break, uh, as we sometimes do. We're not necessarily going uh, verse by verse through Exodus or anything like that, but we've been going through some of the Exodus story. We talked about Moses. We talked about the ten plagues, and most people are, are familiar. I mean, I meet people that don't know anything about the Bible that are familiar with that. Amen. You know, they know they've heard about the ten plagues. They've heard about Noah and the ark. And, and, but you know what, sadly, I'm meeting some people that don't have any concept of, of what the Bible is in America. I've met, I've met teenagers who have never been to church a day in their life Amen. In, in Dubois County. I'm not talking about, you know, where you think. I mean, folks, I've met people that have never, they have no knowledge of God. But uh, I'm assuming here this morning that we have a little bit of that knowledge. And some of you have been coming uh, for a long time. Some of you have been in church longer than I've been alive. Amen. All right. And uh, I've been, I've been uh, going to church for 29 years. But uh, as one joke goes, I've been going to church since nine months before I was born, if you understand that. So I've been raised in it. But at the same time, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important to understand here, God is bringing his people out of the land of Egypt. And this is, uh, this chapter here deals with something that we call the Passover, all right? All right, who's ever heard of the Passover before? All right, there we go, great. All right, perfect, all right, put your hands down. Now, the Passover is a Jewish holiday. We don't celebrate the Passover. Uh, we're not required to, nor are we commanded to. And I'm not, you know, it's just, it is a Jewish observation. Now, uh, we looked at the first uh, several plagues, and we looked at good news for God's people, even though, you know, because remember what happened the first time. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he goes, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, what? And I says, no, that ain't happening. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh goes out and says, man, you almost not be working hard enough if you've got time to think about taking a little vacation to go worship God. So what does he do? He makes them worship, he makes them work harder. He says, I'm going to take it. Not only that, I'm not even going to provide your straw to make your brick anymore. You're going to have to make it yourself. You're going to have to go find it where you can get it. And that means his people were still gathering it. And they made it harder on God's people. And so the first week we looked at this, we said, you know what? Listen, folks, just because... We are doing what we think we're supposed to do, and things don't seem to be getting better. It doesn't mean that God is not good, and it doesn't mean that God is not in control. Because Moses goes to God, and he says, God, what, 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 what on earth is going on? And God says, Moses, I am Jehovah. You know what it means? I'm in control. I, I know what I'm doing, Moses. And, and, and you know what? You're going to have to trust me. Why? Because God always has been. God always will be. Amen. He has a plan, and it's different than our plan, right? Amen. 
How many of we talked about it in Sunday school this morning? If you're saved, you're part of God's family. That makes God your heavenly father, right? Now, how many of you growing up, you got to an age, all right, normally known as the teen years, right, where you knew more than dad knew? Okay, all of us did, right? I mean, come on. And sometimes it might have been true, by the way, and that's not what I'm getting into this morning. But for the most part, as you get older, I realize I didn't know a whole lot more than he did. In some areas, maybe. Everybody's different. Some, some of you, your dad never was saved. All right? You got saved at a young age, and you, so spiritually you might have known more than your dad about the Bible or, or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But you know what? Growing up, I remember a few times in my teenage years where I didn't say it because I knew what would happen. But in my mind, I went, Dad, I, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, if those words had ever come out of my mouth to my dad... I would not be standing before you this morning, all right? <laughs> or I would, but I'd, anyway, I'm not sure. You know what? Because why? Because my dad believed me in biblical discipline, amen, all right? And he, he uh, spared the rod and spoiled the child, amen? And, which, and you know what? By the way, we, people say, you know what? You'll, you'll warp your children by doing that. I'm, no, children are born warped, amen? Yeah. We are the ones that need straightened out, so... My preacher always used to say this growing up. He said, little boys are like canoes. They go straighter when they're paddled from the rear. So I was just like. <laughs> and by the way, that's not abuse. And that's not, part of the, that's not part of our message this morning. But you know what? A parent will let his son play football and get trucked three times a week by guys 300 pounds. And they'll let him break every bone in his body to put on a helmet and play on a team. And they'll let their son skateboard. And any, anybody that's ever skateboarded knows it's part of skateboarding culture to break. If you don't break bones and, and shed blood and go to the hospital, you're not a real skateboarder. Kobe Bryant broke almost, when he played basketball, he broke almost every bone in his hands and in his body. I mean, he had broken bones all over the place. And it was a glory for him to, to suffer pain so that he could become that. And someone thinks taking a, taking a, a, a paddle and giving their child a swat on a place that God made extra padding on for a reason is abuse. Now, hitting a child in the face is abuse. And it's wrong. And Jesus said, if you hurt a little one, you ought to be put, a millstone ought to be put on your neck and you ought to be thrown over in the midst of the sea and I'd be on the millstone committee, all right? Because I've, I've been in some homes and I've seen, some, I've seen, I've seen what abuse looks like. And, and that is wrong, and that is, un, that is unbiblical. And I, we could talk about all the horror stories of that, and, that, and if that was happened to you, that was wrong. It's yeah. not what I'm talking about. But folks, listen, God chastens His children. And you know what? God doesn't have, a, God has our best interest in mind. God knows I need corrected. And here's what God, and you know, sometimes people assume, and, and in our world today, we've got a lot of this, uh, they call it the prosperity gospel, where they teach you that if you follow God, everything's just going to be sunshine and roses, and there's always going to be money in the bank, and you're always going to have good health, and if you don't, it's just because you don't have enough faith, and you don't send that guy enough money, conveniently, all right? That is not biblical Christianity, all right? And, and sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll look at a story like Exodus chapter 6, and, and, and we'll go, well, that's just not fair, God. I mean, they, you want them to leave. Why are you making it harder? God said, I'm Jehovah. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. Moses, I know what I'm... And then, by the way, next, the next week, we, we preached a message we called Bad News for God's Enemies. Why? Because God is going to start inflicting them. And there's a point when the plagues, where it shifts from everybody being affected to just Egypt's being affected. Now, 
By the way, it's true. It's, there are some things in our life that Christians, if you follow God and live for Him and obey the Bible and obey truth, you do miss out on some things, amen, that the world doesn't miss out on. And I don't have to, listen, there's some things in my life, I'm glad I made some decisions, I'm glad I had some people that invested in me, because I don't have to live with those kind of heartache. You know, some people before salvation, you've got some heartache that you have to live with. Why? Because sin, when it is finished, always brings forth death. Always. That's why we have to keep a biblical perspective of what sin is and what it does to a person. I've sat down with guys my age, I'm not... I wouldn't consider myself super old. I'm 29, right? And I'm getting ready to turn 30 this year. I've sat down with guys younger than me and their life is an absolute destruction. Because, and they don't know where to go and they don't, because nobody invested in them. By the way, that makes me thankful. That, by the way, young people, teenagers, you got to be thankful that you got a mom and dad that love you, that want to raise you right and want, and want you to miss some of the things that they went through. I guarantee you, if you go around any, anybody in this room, that got that trusted Christ past the age of 30, I guarantee you they would tell you if I could have found him sooner, I would have. If I could have accepted him sooner, I would have. I've never met somebody who accepted Christ over the age of 40 that says, oh yeah, if I could, if I could go back and accept him at 15, I wouldn't have done it. I would have lived. I would have sown my wild oats. Hey, you know, that, that, that's a worldly philosophy, by the way. Because guess what? The wild oats still come up after salvation. The, the, the sin's, sin's consequences on this earth don't go away. Now, I'm thankful that if you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. Amen. Amen. But you're going to have to deal with some problems. And here's what God is telling his people. He's saying, listen, I've got a plan. I'm in control. And, and so now we see all these plagues. And now we come to chapter number 12. And we see the Passover. Now, it's, it's two things. There's the, the first time, the Passover. It's two words. And then it, God makes it into one word. And we'll see what that is. He gives them, what do I see? I, number one, I see God's institution of the Passover. What is it? It's specific instruction by God. We read it in our text. On the 10th day of the month, they'll take a lamb. By the way, a lamb without blemish, a lamb without spot, a lamb that hasn't been corrupted yet, a lamb that has no defilement. And they're going to take this lamb, they're going to keep it up for four days. Look at verse number five. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it unto the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. That seems pretty specific. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat. Now, all right, we've got a door post right back there. We don't have one behind me. we got one right back there. So they put it on the sides and they put it above. So God not only told them what to do, he told them how to take the blood. And he not only told them how to take the blood, he told them where to apply it. Now, I don't care if you took it with your hand and smeared it, or if you got a paintbrush and smeared it. The, the, the terminology of how it got there wasn't necessarily important. What was important was, later on that night when the angel of the Lord started coming through, he would see the house and the blood was applied. Some people, they go to town over terminology. I don't care as much about terminology and how you articulate something because some people can articulate it more intelligently than others. But there's some people, they may not be able to articulate it intelligently, but they know they got saved. Amen. Hey, because the blood was applied. And you know what? I meet some people, they might have the, the, the ability to tell you exactly how like you would say it and maybe like, oh, but you know what? They know this, the blood was applied. Van Sabner used to say this about electricity. He said, I don't understand everything about electricity. But he's like, I'm not going to stand around in the dark until I do. Amen. 
You know what? There are some things that we can't know. Amen? Amen. And by the way, uh, me and Brother Steve were talking about this the other day. And Brother Steve Spicer. I got, a, I got, a, I got two Steves in here now. I'm gonna, this is going to throw me off. So anyway, all right. I have to come up with a nickname for you, all right? Well, we'll vote on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? I was talking to Brother Spicer. And, uh, and we were talking. And he's like, man, I understand electricity and how it works. And he's telling me, and that's what he does, part of what he does for his job. And, and I'm like, man, I, have, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, all right? I mean, I was in science class in seventh grade, and they taught me a lot of electricity. But that was a while ago, amen? So I don't understand all of it. I mean, I understand some basics. But truthfully, I, I do understand that if I flip that switch, these lights are going to turn on, right? You know? I mean, that, uh, so folks, listen, some people understand salvation better than others. And by the way, as you grow and as you get saved and as you learn about the Bible, you ought to understand salvation better than you did when you got saved. Amen. It doesn't make you any more or any less saved. But you know what? The, we do know this. The blood must be applied. Look at this. Verse number eight. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water. But roast with fire, his head with legs, and the pertinence thereof. And ye shall, the animal activist people are real mad at this passage right now. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. This is very specific. And thus shall ye eat of it with your loins girded, with your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now look at this. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt while I execute judgment, I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. I see the special provision by God in this institution, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. How many of you are firstborn? How many of you are the firstborn child of your family? Oh, a lot of people. Good. You know what? That means if the blood wasn't applied, I, I bet you would be one to make sure that the blood was applied on your doorpost, wouldn't you? You would. Why? Because you didn't want to die that night. Because God didn't say if you were Egyptian, he was going to kill you. And if you were Israelite, he wasn't. God said if the blood's not on the door, the firstborn of the cattle, the firstborn of everything, of, of all the families, will die. So it didn't matter how good you were. And it didn't matter how much money you had in the bank. And it didn't matter how high up you were. It didn't, none of that mattered. If the blood was not there, you would have died. Now, what was the purpose of this? God says, okay, he says there's a special remembrance now to be given. Look at verse 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Ooh, I'm thankful we don't have to celebrate that. Hey, man, aren't you? We'll get to that in a minute. Have you ever eaten unleavened bread, all right? It's like the kind of bread we eat for communion, all right? It may be good for remembering the Lord's Supper, but it would not be good on a deli meat sandwich, friend. All right. Whew. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put it leaven out of your houses. Leaven is always a picture of sin in our Bible, by the way. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. 
And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. In the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No matter of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, and that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day I have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore ye shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even ye shall eat the unleavened bread, until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened in, in all your habitations, when ye shall eat unleavened bread. Hmm. So God gives them, not only does he give them specific instruction, he gives them a sp special provision. When I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. And then he also gives them a special remembrance. All right, you're going to, I'm going to create a feast that you're going to celebrate for a week. And it is going to re remind you forever of what God has done for you. Yeah. Hey, folks, by the way, you ought not ever forget what God's done for you. Amen. You ought not ever forget the change he's made in your life when you got saved. Amen. You ought not ever forget all of the things when he saw the blood of Jesus Christ, he passed over you, and we're getting to that, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Number two, what I see is I see the response of the people. Look at verse 21. What do I see first? I see leadership leading. I see leadership leading. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike it uh, at the lintel and the two side posts. And so they didn't do it with their hand there. And with the blood that is in the basin, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. Now, I see leadership leading. God goes to Moses. He tells Moses what to do. Moses calls the elders, and they are the ones that are going to carry it out. Okay, all right? And I'm just going to pause here and say this for a minute. In our world today, God's appointed man for a church is the pastor to be the overseer of the church. It doesn't mean he's any better than anybody else, but that is a biblical pattern. You know who the elders were in this passage? They weren't important people in the church. They were the heads of households. God appointed the man to be the head of his house. It is a biblical concept. In our world, it is not a, it, it, you know, in our world, they think of that as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It, it, it's a good thing, actually. Biblical headship may not be popular in our world, but God has never asked his people to live according to the world of their day. God never asked the Egyptians and the Israelites to be like each other. Now, I love America. I'm an American. If you slip me open, I'm going to bleed red, white, and blue. Amen. I love it. I love this country. I, I, I was born here. I was raised here. I love my country. Amen. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of buzzwords going on in our world today about Christian nationalism and all this, all this stuff. But you know what? Truthfully, I am a Christian and I'm an American. Yeah. But you know what? I'm an American by right. I don't ha no, you don't have to be an American to be a Christian. You don't have to be rich to be a Christian. You don't have to be white to be a Christian. You don't have to be smart to be a Christian. You don't have to be any of those things. There's people all over the world that are Christians, amen? amen? And by the way, they don't get a right to vote in an election. Amen. And they don't get a right to pick. I mean, they, they, they have to live their life according to what their world tells them to do. Some of them today will meet in a church somewhere in someone's basement, and if they get caught, the leader of it's going to go to jail, and most of them will too. 
Folks, listen, I, I'm glad I'm a child of God. I'm glad I'm a Christian. Amen. But you know what? Leadership ought to lead. Hey, it's still right for a man to be the pastor of a church and the authority of a church. It's still right for the husband to be the man of his home and the authority of his home. Sure. By the way, it's not toxic. And you know what, man? It's not a dictatorship either. No. You know what it is according to the Bible? You know what Moses was? Moses was a servant leader. All right? Valentine's Day is coming up, right, ladies? I've got to preach to the men a little bit, all right? <laughs> servant leadership. You know what servant leadership is? I'm here to serve you. You know what a good pastor is? I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. Jesus Christ didn't come to, to be ministered to. He came to what? Minister. Husbands, you know what? You didn't come so you, you didn't marry a wife so she could serve you all your days and take off your boots and massage your feet and cook you supper. Although if she's a good wife, she might do those things for you. Amen. <laughs> I'm glad. Listen, my wife wants to cook supper in our house. Amen. All right. Because I've cooked it a few times. And I went, I went grocery shopping one time for everything. Okay. Not just for the junk that I like. Amen. I went grocery shopping and I went without a list and without a meal plan. And I was going to shop for healthy food. Yeah. That's my wife. She swears to this day, all I brought back was a cart full of chicken and kale. And that's, she's just like, what are we going to do with this? And, I, and I'm glad for my wife. My wife is, she's a better Christian than I am. She helps me in more ways. That, but you know what? Listen, servant leadership is there to serve others. By the way, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's a pretty tall standard, isn't it? I know I fall short of that. Said so preacher, your spouse supposed to stop chasing rabbits. Get back to the message. All right, I will. But you know what, folks? Listen. What happened after the after the leadership led? Look at verse number twenty-four. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever, and it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you according as He hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, and we smote the Egyptians and delivered our... And I've got to turn my page, and it's getting stuck here, all right? Just keep reading, all right? Houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. Hmm. What was the purpose of this? Why were they doing this? Can you, how many of you like yeast rolls? You let, you know, you put them out, you let them rise all day long, and then you bake them and you slather some butter on top when they come fresh out of the oven, right? That's why, that's a good thing to talk about at a quarter till noon, isn't it, you know? <laughs> but you know what? Can you imagine a kid having yeast rolls every week and, you know, eating them, just eating that good bread, and then he comes in one week and he's an Israelite boy and he comes in one week and the rolls look about this high. <laughs> He's like, Mama, did you forget something? Yes, son, I forgot to put the leaven in. Why'd you forget to put the leaven in? Why, why do we do that? Well, once a week, the father would sit down with the boy. You know, I don't know if your kids ever ask you questions. All right, my kids ask me questions all the time, and it's great. Sometimes it's like, where do you come up with these questions, right? Like a basket of suckers. Hey, Dad, what are those suckers? What kind are they? Oh, well, there's this and this and this. Why are they in those wrappers? I don't know. I mean, why do they put them on those white sticks? I mean, I just... Where do the, by the way, they're curious. But I can see a little boy coming in and he goes, Dad, why do we have to eat nasty bread one week out of the year? 
Dad goes, well, son, it's a picture. Leaven is a picture of sin in the Bible. All right. And God, God, God said for a week, we're going to sit down. We're not going to have any leaven in our in our bread. Because we're going to remember. You don't remember this, son. But when your grandpa, when I was a little boy, when your grandpa was in Egypt, there was a night there where God was going to judge all of Egypt. And he said, if you put the blood on the doorposts, that the firstborn of that house would not die. But if they didn't, then they would die. And son, when we do this, when we take this week and we celebrate, we are reminding ourselves that what God did for us way back then. By the way, Jewish people still do that to this day in the month of April. They still celebrate Passover. Why? They're reminding themselves of what God has done. You know what? Now, we're not Jewish, and I'm not getting into all that this morning. There's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all saved under the blood of Jesus Christ now. And we, may, we will get to that towards the end. But the purpose of it was to remember. But folks, listen. When if, let's just do what we've done in our world with a lot of things. We've taken symbolism, and something that was supposed to be a symbol of what actually took place has become what we have worshipped. There are two ordinances. God gives us two remembrances for the local church. You know what they are? They're baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are given those things to remind us of something that has happened. You know what baptism is supposed to do? Baptism is supposed to be a picture of salvation. Baptism is supposed to be a testimony of the world. Of what we have done, we have trusted Christ as our Savior. Now on June 11th, 2000, and oh, what year was it? Where's my wife? What year did we get married? She's gone. I don't remember. Don't tell her. All right. Draw a blank. June 11, 2016, we got married. I wear this wedding ring as a symbol of my commitment to her. When I take it off, are we still married? Absolutely. Just like a wedding ring is to marriage, baptism is to our salvation. It's a symbol. Now, have you ever met a guy who wears a wedding ring that isn't married? Well, I have. I've worked with some of those guys. That's kind of weird. I mean, you say, hey, you're what? They're like, oh, no, I don't even have a girlfriend. You know, and it's like, why do you wear a wedding ring? I mean, it's kind of strange. You can wear, wear a class ring or something, man, all right? But don't wear a wedding ring if you're not married. Why? Because it's a symbol. But there's a lot of people who have a symbol of salvation. They've been baptized, but they've never been saved. Because somebody taught him, if I can put you in some water and bring you back up, you're going to heaven. That's not where found in the Bible. It's just a symbol of salvation. Now, I'm for you getting baptized. Amen. I got baptized after I got saved. Amen. And you know what? If you got baptized before you got saved and then you get saved and you trust Christ as your Savior, and you are what the Bible says born again, I think you ought to get baptized again. Why? Because you got it right this time. The first time you just got wet. Amen. Amen. But when the symbol becomes what we worship and what we count on, we are losing the point. Hey, what if these Israelites said, we do this because God is saving us? No, that's not. That's not. We do the Passover because God has saved us. Right. The Lord's Supper is the other ordinance for the church. It is a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. The sole purpose in eating and drinking it is to remember what Christ did on the cross. There is no element in it that changes into the literal flesh and blood of Christ. And keeps us abound by teaching us that we must continually take it week after week as a necessity for salvation. It is an entirely foreign concept to any aspect of the scripture. 
Jesus Christ stood there and taught the disciples how to take communion. He said, eat of this. This is my body. Now, did he rip a chunk of flesh off of himself? No. He was giving them bread. You know what it was? It was a symbol. You know what he was doing when he said, drink of, the, drink of the wine, drink of the cup here? He was saying, this is my blood. He wasn't cutting his wrist open and pouring it in. and handing. He, was, he was giving it to him as a symbol, folks. But some people will trade the symbol and they will make it into what they actually worship. And you know what? That is wrong. Now I'm for taking communion and I'm for being baptized. I think you ought to do both of those things. Amen? But when we make the symbol, well, you remember the story about Moses and the serpent? Well, in the book of Kings, they take that serpent and they begin to worship the serpent. What was it? It was a symbol of God's deliverance. And folks, when we replace God with the symbol of God, some people wear a cross. They don't know why they wear a cross. They just always worn one. I'm not against you necessarily wearing a cross. What I'm saying is a lot of people believe in a symbol, but they have no idea what it is. There's a lot of people that know about Jesus in America, but they have no idea what he did. They believe in him and they love him and, and they think he loves them and they, that would be, all be true. But they don't know why he actually came. The purpose of him coming was to die and to shed his blood. And when God looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ on you and he doesn't see sin anymore and you are saved. Amen. Because of the blood and the blood must have been applied. Amen. If the blood's never been applied, you've never been saved. That's just Bible and it's just simple truth. Well, we see the obedience of the people. Look at verse 28. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. And it came to pass at that at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that is on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house, so there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds of ye have said, and be gone. And bless me also. Wow. And the Egyptians were urging upon the people that they might send out the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Hey folks, listen. You can hear about Jesus all you want. But if you never apply the blood, when you die, you're going to stand before God. And in Revelation chapter 20, it tells us, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. Hey, you don't, you, you don't go to heaven because you're a member of my church. Right. You don't go to heaven because you're a good person. You don't go to heaven because you put money in the offering plate. You don't go to heaven because you... It has nothing to do with that. When God looks at you, He doesn't look at your merits. He looks at the blood. Amen. Take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians 5 and we're done. Someone say, Preacher, why, why are we talking about Passover? Well, there was someone else who became the Passover for us. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, Paul's specifically dealing with sin in the church in this passage, in this chapter. Talking about getting rid of sin in the church. But he makes a statement inspired by God here in verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. 
And once you're there, why don't you read it with me? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. Read that last phrase again. For even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. Hey friend, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, you know what he was? He was a lamb. Without blemish. He was spotless. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He put up on a cross and they nailed him to a cross. And they nailed nails through his hands and through his feet. And he hung there and he bled and he suffered and he died. For you. But it doesn't happen unless you apply the blood. You know, there's a lot of people that they know what he did. By the way, the Egyptians knew, didn't they? They knew. They could have, they could have gone out, killed a lamb, gotten the blood, put it on their doorpost, but none of them did. Why? Because they didn't believe God. You know what? I, I want to be a good person, and I think you ought to be. Amen? That's our theme for this year. Let us, let us do good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? Imagine if I had gone that day and helped somebody, and I didn't apply the blood of my, to my doorpost. Imagine if Braxton would have died that next day. Simply because I didn't obey what God said to do. You say, preacher, but you helped somebody. Preacher, but you, you prayed that morning. But I didn't apply the blood. Hey, folks, listen, if you do not apply the blood, I'm thankful. April the 6th, 2008, on the front row of Claysville Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, a preacher was preaching, and he was preaching on hell, and I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I was lost, and I knew I was on my way to hell, and I had been a good kid. I tried to. I tried to do all the right things. I tried to please my mom and dad. I wasn't perfect by any means. I was a teenage boy. I'm, all teenage boys know they're sinners. Amen. All teenage boys have watched stuff they shouldn't and done stuff they shouldn't and thought stuff they shouldn't, and I knew all that. And I was sitting there and I was miserable because I had been baptized as a kid. I had done all the right stuff. I, had, I knew how to sing the songs. I knew how to read the Bible. And I'm sitting there as a teenage boy and I am miserable because the blood had never been applied. But you know what? I stand before you today and I know I'm going to heaven. Amen. Why? Because when God looks at me, He doesn't look at a good person. Because you know what? God sees through anything that you try to appear. God sees through the outside. Some people misapply that. Say God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the heart. And that's true. But you realize he was talking about Eliab in that passage. And Eliab looked good. God sees right through everything. that God sees through, your, God sees through you. God sees through your morality. God sees through your obedience. God sees through your goodness. God sees through your church going. He sees right here. And all he wants to see is when he sees you. Does he see the blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. Or are you dependent on yourself? There's a song in our hymn book. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Hey, friend, if you die today, where would you be? Amen. Would you be in heaven? Or you're not measuring up because of, you, don't, you haven't ever accepted the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 